It's Toronto's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. Hi, everyone. I'm Celine Williams, an international speaker and business strategist, and I'd like to welcome you to Toronto's podcast. We are part of the Canada's Podcast Network, your source for great insights for entrepreneurs from across Canada. I'm here today with Jackie Porter, who is a financial planner and financial confidant. Thanks for joining me today. Such a pleasure. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you, not only because I want to know so much more about what being a financial confidant looks like, but also because I know just how brilliant your brain is and how fascinating you are. So (laughs) I'm really excited about this. Well, thank you. I want to start with, to tell our listeners a little bit about what it is that you do, especially as a financial confidant. So you know what, Um, being a financial confidant, what I've come to learn, like I have a background in therapy, actually. And um, I actually thought I was going to be a therapist. (laughs) I have a background in psychology and communications and, you know, went to get further training in therapy. And, you know, what I came to realize when I was doing my practicum in therapy was um, I was struggling, not offering advice (laughs) to the people who came week after week, who told me, you know, what their issues were and you know, and I just, I felt like I wasn't really helping them. And, you know, I had been uh, trained in the area of gestalt therapy, where you do a lot of active listening and positive regard. Things have changed, thankfully, in therapy. Uh, But you're listening and you're not guiding as much as you're listening and getting people to come to their own conclusions. And I, I just found that not very effective. And the the advice person in me just kept screaming in my head and I kept wanting to to tell the people I was seeing like give your head a shake like didn't we just talk about this last week we're having the same conversation again this week like and so I just felt like I, I wasn't going to be an effective therapist because I I really enjoy coaching and I enjoy you know giving people feedback and and having looking at how ways tangible ways I can help them so I just felt like I wouldn't be effective as a therapist and not please understand that I on my hats go out to my hat goes off to therapists out there I just didn't think that would be my best value my highest value so anyway that led me to <laughs> funny enough continue to pursue a career in in journalism and so I got my journalism degree and, and then a uh, communications degree. And then I thought I would do that. I worked for the phone company for a number of years. And um, that led me to, for the first time in my life, Celine, uh, save money. Um, like I've, I've been on my own and I don't even know if, with all of our personal conversations that we've had, because shout out to Celine. She's a fantastic uh, girl out there. She's a groovy lady and we've had lots of great conversations. Um, but I have actually been on my own since I was 16. I've, I was raised by a single mom who um, I became suddenly single at the age of 16. And I was on my own, you know, figuring out how to pay for school, high school, university. I like literally had <laughs> mostly through school, three or four jobs while going to school. And I just became really good at putting money away and saving because I had no choice. And, um, you know, so the first time in my life that I had a full-time job, just one job, was when I worked um, at Bell. And so I was able to save quite a bit. And now during that time period, I only worked there five years. I got promoted. And the next thing I know, I, um, the department that I was in, Bell was going through transition. They were going through competition. And because of that, um, my job was up 
again. <laughs> so all of a sudden I'm going through transition at, at Bell and um, really at that point in time, I could have stayed at Bell, but I was so demoralized by that whole transition process. I don't know if you've ever worked in a big company going through transition. It can be pretty demoralizing. What I knew, even though I knew management loved me and they wanted me to stay, what I knew is I didn't want to work for a big company anymore. And I thought I was going to get a, you know, associate degree, a, a higher degree, maybe my master's in journalism. And, and I thought I would do that. And anyway, that was a first, it was that time period when I left, I was in the process of leaving Bell that somebody, a girlfriend of mine, were having my very first money conversation. And I said, you know, I have some stock options, never knew what that was before with Bell. And she said, and I have some RSPs. And she said, you should talk to a financial planner. <laughs> and so anyway, that was the first time I even heard of a financial planner. And so she referred me to a financial planner who, get this, was a woman of color, a woman of color. That was like a pretty much a unicorn back in the in the 90s. In the I mean, it's, it's still rare now in that field, but definitely I can see in the 90s, it's like, what? It, exactly, exactly. So she was talking to me and I'm having like now my first really bonafide money conversation, right? And she said something to me that like sounded revolutionary at the time. Remember, this is the girl who worked three jobs since I was 16. She's like, you know, I can show you how you can make money work for you. I said to her at the end of our conversation, first of all, how do I do this? And then second of all, how do I become an advisor myself? Because what I realized from that conversation is I needed to learn everything I could about money for me because I desperately wanted to retire sooner than later, having worked since I was 16, part-time jobs. And but maybe it wasn't therapy that I'm supposed to do. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. And as I've been doing this for as long as I have, that was like 22 years ago. So I learned everything I could about money. I got my uh, certifications, like my CFP, all the investment licenses, and I figured out how to do this. And I'm so grateful for that woman. It led me to develop um, my own practice, allowed me to create my own seven-figure net worth. It was one of the most important decisions I've ever made in my life. So that's the first thing. But then the part of it that attracted me, why I liked financial planning, I came to realize, is because I found that talking about money was cheaper than going to therapy. Because <laughs> even with a, even in a relationship, right, talking about money with, with couples and families, I could actually give people strategies. I could show them tangible ways they could pay off their mortgage sooner or pay off their debt or save for retirement. I could give them so much more security. And that's what appealed to me about, about the field. So one of the reasons I call myself a confidant is because there's still so much, there's still so much vulnerability around talking about money. It's, it's kind of like talking about sex and all the other things. And it requires a certain level of trust with the person. Because if I'm going to be vulnerable with you, I need to trust you. And that's kind of like what a confidant's all about. It's kind of like what I did in therapy. You need to, people need to feel trust you if they're going to tell you their dark secrets and money is one of them. But they also, why I call myself a confidant as well is, you know, I was really big just right from the beginning, getting all of my licenses, making sure that I, I could be someone that someone could feel confident working with. Like I wanted to get my CFP, I wanted to get all those credentials because A, I knew I was going to write a lot about money, talk about money. I knew my, I wanted to be like Oprah. <laughs> and I, I don't say that lightly in the financial world. I knew that. And so I wanted to make sure I was in a position that I could speak uh, confidently about it. So when people speak to me, they can feel confident 
that I can help them, but they also can have that sense that they can also be vulnerable with me. Because I think that's still really important and not be judgmental. And those are all the things that I, I take from therapy. Well, and I love that it's that balance of having those credentials, having that the training, uh, it does position you as an expert and doing the work that you're doing means that you're in the field continuing to grow on it. So one of the challenges that happens with, um, I think sometimes in larger organizations, so the joy of being an entrepreneur is you get the education and then you are stuck doing the same thing over and over and over again. And you just get stuck in this little bubble. And you have this lovely balance of you have the education, the knowledge, but you're constantly building on it and putting into practice and learning. So you're, it's not that there's a word that I'm looking for, but it's not, it's not that stuck in just the educational model or the structure of this is the way it has to be. Right. Like in the school, almost like theory, (laughs) there's theory and practice. (laughs) Yes. And, and I think what's really cool about what you're talking about and what you do is that it is that balance of, of theory and practice, and it's not overly structured as one or the other. It is that you're able to have people's best interest and still they can have all this trust in you because you are, you have all these certifications. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think a part of it, like the whole, the therapist in me, you need to be approachable. Like if people come to you and you seem like that really stuffy banker type Um, you know, maybe they'll talk to you about their investments, but they're not going to really tell you what's going on in their life, the things that really matter. And and what I find as I work with clients, especially over a few meetings, is what they present isn't always how things appear. And the only way you can actually get to the heart of what's going on with them financially is they have to trust you. So they'll give you some numbers in the beginning and they'll tell you one story. But what I love about my job is the the PR, the PI piece. Like I'm I'm an investigative journalist at heart, right? Which means I want to understand the story that people tell me, but the numbers will tell me another story. And it's helping them align those two stories together. Like you told me one thing, but the numbers tell me this, what's really going on? Right. <laughs> so I'm going to assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you do have a lot of clients and people that you work with that are entrepreneurs. That's right. What do you find are the things that either the stories that entrepreneur, and I'm talking about because our audience is mostly entrepreneurs. So it's not, but like, are there specific stories or things that entrepreneurs aren't looking at or are telling themselves that aren't the reality that you see kind of as a trend quite often in the people that you're dealing with? Well, I, I have this phenomenon that I call the, the broke millionaire syndrome. <laughs> and the broke millionaire syndrome is there seems to be a lot of money in the bank and, you know, they may not even have had a really good conversation with their accountant about the financial state of things. So I tend to want them to become very intimate with their numbers sooner than later in the process. So I'm like, have you ever had a conversation with your accountant about your financial health? Because maybe just because you're drawing a certain amount of money from your corporation, that doesn't mean you should. Or it doesn't mean you shouldn't, but it doesn't mean you should. And what are your long-term plans? And I just, I find that um, people tend to get, like, they're busy. And also, too, they sometimes feel dumb when it comes to dealing with their accountants. So they they don't necessarily know what they should be asking. Um, And so they often will just go to their accountant to file their taxes. And they're not really utilizing an accountant, as far as I feel, they should be. 
Um, and as, as entrepreneurs, you really have to, especially this time of the year, because we're getting to the, the tax filing deadline for entrepreneurs and for corporations, but you really have to watch out for dealing with someone who's an accountant that's a, a filer of your taxes versus a tax advisor. There's a huge difference. If you're dealing with a filer, chances are you're not having ongoing conversations about your financial health. They're not helping you to make tactical decisions about what you should be taking out of the company that you have, what you should be taking as a salary, as a dividend, you know, what maybe how things should change the following year based on some of your plans. And ultimately, you know, entrepreneurs need competent people. They're really busy. Like I find I'm, I'm also, um, because I push these conversations, I feel like I go to accounting meetings with clients and I'm the, tra the translator of the accountant. <laughs> Because <laughs> they don't understand what they're saying and, and sometimes they just give up. They're not happy, but they just give up and they don't really take an active role in understanding their company's expenses. And at the end of the day, I mean, depending on how, how, um, how cash rich and how wealthy your corporation is, you can get away with that, but not forever and certainly not in moments like these, right? Wouldn't it be nice to know where you actually stand financially, you know, what your balance sheet actually says, what your, you know, your profit and loss statement actually means, and, and not just get lulled into, you know, it's okay. I'll just keep going. I can keep myself busy with other, there's lots of other things. But, but truthfully, you know, to have a successful business, you need to understand your numbers. I, I agree 100%. Uh, and I'm always astonished by, and you and I were talking about this a little bit before, by how many people just entrepreneurs or not, they don't even want to look at their numbers. It is like, that's, if, that's I, my point. if I don't look at them at all, it's just going to, it'll be fine because it has to be fine if I ignore them. And it's, and I get it a little bit more sort of as a general public thing because we don't talk about money. It's, there's, it's scary. It's, but when you're an entrepreneur, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, and you have to have that conversation. And I'll give you an example. Like, I have this one client who's a lawyer, and I love her, but lawyers are notorious for living very high off the hog. So talk about your, your typical broke millionaire, right? So she makes a couple of million a year, but she has also very high overhead. Like, we're talking about $50,000 a month for, you know, so it helps to have some cash in the bank at times like this, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, and she was thinking she wanted to buy a cottage. She had all these spending plans that we needed to kind of rein in because one of the things she said to me um, during the course of us you know putting her spending plan together and I prefer spending plan to budget because I find psychologically it does things to people it's like let's plan out your expenses anyway all of this to say she came to me of course as we were finalizing her spending plan she's like Jackie I just wanted to know I'm thinking of buying an not an Ashton Martin it's some other car like that right yeah you know, I'm thinking I should have a company pay for it. Like she thought that just because the company was paying for it, that still, that made it a better idea. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's going to be some deductions. But at the end of the day, you're still spending that money on this. It wasn't an Aston Martin, but it was at least a $100,000 car. And I just can't think of what it was now. But I'm like, here's the thing. You said to me, you wanted to buy a cottage that was going to cost you like seven, 800,000 this year. You were going to do all these other spendings. Is this the year to buy that blah, blah, blah? Yeah. Like, let's walk. Let me try to talk you off the ledge here. Yeah. 
it might make sense from a tax perspective, but what are some other things you could do that would allow you to achieve your goal that's not going to put you in a situation where you have that many more um, expenses a month when you tell me it, it sometimes makes you lose sleep to have this 50,000 a month of expenses because of your you know, personal injury business that's so high, um, so many expenses are so high that you have to worry about. Do you want another expense you know, along those lines? Right? So we have these kinds of conversations for the next five, six years. And at the end of it, you're gonna have a depreciating asset. So you just put all of that money in that vehicle. So you know, I'm, not, I'm one of those people, they know we're going to have these kinds of conversations. And I'm not trying to tell you this is what you should do or you shouldn't do. I'm just like, here's the implications of that one financial decision. Is that the decision you want to make? It's your money. I just want you to understand it. I love this because I think it's really important for entrepreneurs, especially to have someone that they can have these type of conversations about, with about money, right? Like, I think that, I mean, I think everyone should have a Jackie Porter, truth be told, um, because that's really important. But even if it's just being transparent and, and opening up to find out what your friends are doing or what's yes, going in your family, yes, 100%. starting point, have a starting point for this yeah, as an entrepreneur, data. Yeah, data. talk to other entrepreneurs, yes. right? Get some information, like let's stop not talking about money. Yes, let's have as many money conversations as possible gather data, scrutinize, and then make decisions. So don't go on a hot stock tip. Maybe somebody's giving you some information, just scrutinize that information. Maybe talk to a few people, get a, talk to a professional, and then make a decision. But don't be, don't be paralyzed by not making any decisions about your, your money or looking at your money because you're afraid to talk about it. You know, one of the things that comes to mind is that you know, I know there are people who are affiliated with certain portfolios or banks or whatever the case may be, who are always going to get, who give advice from that perspective only, where it's not necessarily about the best interest of the person with the money. It's about the best of the institution they are representing. Right. And you can ask them, are they independent? Who do they represent? I'm happy to pass on questions to ask your financial advisor before you start working with them. I'm happy to provide your audience with how do you know if you're working with a tax accountant who's a filer versus an advisor, how to interview accountants, because people usually have no idea how to interview to find a good accountant. So I'm happy to pass that information on to your community. Um, I'm, I think we would probably love that. And, and um, <laughs> I, I'm, I mean, look, at the end of this, Jackie's website is askjackie.ca. So you can always find Jackie online as well and ask her, but definitely we'd love sharing resources. And I know that this is some of the challenges that people have is they don't even know where to start, right? So they don't know where to start when it comes to talking to money. They don't know where to start. How do I know if it's a tax filer? Like just this conversation to hear that there is a difference is going to, for some people be like, oh, I hadn't, I didn't know that. No, it's, it's, it's really important. And, you know, like, you know, challenge yourself to first starting having a money conversation with yourself and looking at your numbers and then, you know, get your partner involved. You know, many marriages, like I said, talking about money with a couple is cheaper than going to therapy. <laughs> you know, I always find like men here, honey, we need to go to therapy. They know someone's going to be blamed, probably them. Right. <laughs> so talking about money with your partner is one of the key things you can do to keep a happy marriage. And so, you know, talking about money, finding the time to look at your money issues, not shaming or blaming. Don't do it when you're angry, for God's sakes. 
<laughs> when you're already pissed off about something your partner did, but having that conversation and then and then really trying to create a different legacy. So having money conversations at your kitchen table, at the dinner table with your kids so that they can see you know, what's happening with your money. Because, you know, th these days kids are being raised in an environment where nobody talks about money and money is a black box, which is why they're likely to think that you can give them either your bank card or your credit card and it's an endless pit. And it isn't, right? So, you know, my mother had no problems telling me that she didn't have the money when she didn't have it. <laughs> and I was okay with it. I didn't die. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. I know you have another call coming up and I want, be, I want to be respectful of your time. And I want to thank you because this has been super helpful. And I'd love to have you back for another conversation. Absolutely. You know what? I, like I said, you're my girl. I love chatting with you. Thank you for coming on. Our, our listeners are going to get so much out of this. Uh, you can find Jackie online at askjackie.ca. The links will be in the show notes here. Thank you, Jackie. I appreciate you very much. It's such a pleasure catching up with you again. Thanks everyone for taking the time today to listen to Toronto's podcast on the Canada Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the podcast today, please make sure to write us a review on iTunes and share this episode with a friend. You can also check us out online at canadaspodcast.com where you can listen, discover and engage and learn more about what other entrepreneurs are doing across the country. See you next time.